welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. Okay, we've been in a series called Hearts United. Hearts United. And we're journeying through the book of Acts together, written by Luke. And it documents the early church, the formation of the early church, the first church in Jerusalem and and beyond. And so we've been looking at surveying the book of Acts together in hopes that it would draw us closer together as a community, as a family of believers in vision and in purpose and what we're here for. What are we here for? What are we all here together for? So we talked a lot about when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, the uh, believers or around about 120 of them in the, in the room that night and the Holy Spirit fell and we read that he completed the room. He fi- the Holy Spirit filled the room and we talked about how he's not just filling cracks or crevices or uh, gaps in the wood or in the roof or whatever. He, he fills people. The Holy F- Spirit fills people. He empowers people. He sends people. And so he falls on us as a church and then we talked about we are filled. Why are we filled? just to have a a good kind of warm, fuzzy experience. No, when the Holy Spirit comes, he fills us to send us because there's life inside of us now. When the Holy Spirit comes, we have the life of Jesus residing inside of our chest. And so big A apostles to uh, average Joes, we're all a part of this. And that's what I want us to get in our purpose as a community together, that it's, it's not the man in the middle with the microphone, but it's all of us moving the ball forward, showing faithfulness one yard at a time, left foot, right foot, right, and showing faithfulness and bringing life to the city together. And that sounds real good. And so we, we looked at like why that's difficult sometimes throughout the course of this series. And today we're going to talk about story, united in story, hearts united in story. And we're going to be in Acts 13. If you have a Bible and you want to turn or swipe there with me, if you don't have a Bible, we have one on either side of the stage. It's our gift to you. You can pick one up um, as a free gift. And we're going to be in Acts 13, specifically verses 16 through 30. And there are three main points in the passage today. And really quickly, the first two that we see throughout verse, or chapter 13 are that everything in history is leading up to the death and resurrection of Jesus. And secondly, the story behind Jesus is God's story. So everything in history is leading up to the death and resurrection of Jesus. And secondly, the story behind Jesus is God's story. History is God's story. And so we're going to read together Acts, let me get there, 13, and we read this. Let's go in 14. From Perga, they went on to Poseidon, Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After reading from the law and the prophets, the synagogue rulers sent a word to them, saying, brothers... If you have a message of encouragement for the people, please uh, speak. Standing up, Paul mentioned or motioned with his hand and said, Men of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. And here we go. This is Paul's first sermon since since he was Saul. And then he was 
struck down on the road to Damascus. Here it is. Here's Paul's first sermon. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With, might, uh, with mighty power, he led them out of that country. He endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert. He was patient with them. He overthrew seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel, the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, of similar heart, made of the same stuff. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not the one. No, but he is coming after me, whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, children of Abraham, and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and the rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. Oh, let's read 32. It's so good. We tell you the good news. What God promised our fathers, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. God raised him from the dead. Everything in history is leading to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Stories are really important. Stories are really significant. We're each involved in a story right now. You might be involved in several storylines in your journey with God and with others, with your spouse, with family relations. Stories are really important. We talked over the summer about 10 specific stories in the parables. And we told stories, uh, uh, the stories of the parables because Jesus told stories. Jesus used the, the uh, device of storytelling to convey deeper truths about himself and about the kingdom of God and about our world. Stories are really important. I got to hear a lot of stories this past week. If I'm a little bit tired looking, it's because I'm just coming off of a week with 90 fifth graders chaperoning the fifth grade camp out. So my eyes are very wide and I'm wide awake. Very interesting, the, 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 little, the little boys, they're all tough, rough and tumble through the day and they're all trying to outdo each other. Then the lights go off and they start crying for their moms. I miss... I miss, I miss my mommy. Oh, John Paul, is this your first time away from home? Yeah, yeah, through tears. Oh, buddy, it's going to be all right. You got friends around, you know. 90 fifth graders, 40 fifth grade boys. 
And as I sat in um, the yurt at Hiram House <laughs> Camp, and I looked around at the ecology class that was going on, I started to well up with tears. Actually, a couple of different points throughout the week. Because I would come into contact with these boys, and I'd see their stories in their eyes. The story that God is speaking over their lives. And God bless you, teachers. Are teachers in the room? Anybody teach kids, teach element? Yes. God bless you. You are supplying the destiny of the city. You are light and life to these kids' lives, and you are very patient and kind as well. <laughs> New respect for teachers. And also, I'd see all of the, the stories that have been spoken over these kids' lives that aren't their true identity. You know, the kid who's the, who's the troublemaker, but that's reinforced by his parents in every step that he takes. You know, he knows he's going to be in trouble. And, and then we come in, right, and we say, no, that's not, that's not your story. That's not who you are. And I'd see in these kids' eyes the stories that God is building through them and will begin to unfold in their life throughout their lifetime. And it just brought me to tears. Just so, so many stories that were playing out. So stories are important. And I wanted to try something to illustrate a point. I want you to, if you would indulge me, to begin a conversation with your neighbor. Yes, talking in church. Go ahead and tell, tell your neighbor about your, the story of your day yesterday. Go ahead. Go ahead. Start sharing the story of your day yesterday. You woke up. You had breakfast. And you're, you're sharing the story of... You hung out with the kids. Put the kids to bed. Okay. Okay, stop. Stop. Do you hear all the voices? Okay, stop. <laughs> this illustration is great. So how, how good, how good is the father? In this cacophony, see, we can't, we, we might be able to pick out one other story that's happening in the room, right? But how good of our Father, out of the cacophony of sound and stories that are being played out, that our Father hears, and not only hears, but listens and understands to each, and there are over six billion people on the planet, and he hears perfectly well and understands perfectly well like no human could, and loves us through our story, through the cacophony of noise that happens on our world, on our planet. Here's the Father listening to each and every story that's coming out of our mouths. He loves to hear from us, and he doesn't just tolerate us. It's like, oh, i got to spend time with Gary again. He loves, he loves hearing us. He loves spending time with us. He's like, come on, spill it. Let's hear all about it. Come on up. God loves to hear our stories. And in Acts 13, we get to hear his story. The story that he's playing out through the, before the beginning of time. And there are 16, if you wanted to follow along with me, there are 16 declarations of God's acts in history. 
1, in verse 17a, it's God who chooses Israel from all the people of the earth for his special purposes. God did that. God chose. And the second thing, in verse 17b, God made, them, God made the people great during their stay in Egypt. It was not mere natural fertility. God made them grow even while they're enslaved. God did that. In verse 17, it says that God led them out of Egypt with an uplifted arm. In other words, God flexed his muscles in Egypt. God made an unusual display of his power. God meant to be seen as the mighty deliverer of his people. God did that. God delivered his people. In verse 18, God bore with Israel, God bore with Israel in the wilderness. Or another old reading with one letter different says that God carried Israel like a father carries a child. God was the guide and the sustainer and father in the wilderness. God led them out. In verse 19, it was God who destroyed the seven nations. Can you hear seven nation army playing? Like at the, it's, it's kickoff. He destroyed the, the other dun, 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 of Canaan as an inheritance. He owned it. It, it was his land to give to the children who trust him. It wasn't the Canaanites' land. It was God's. The earth is his, for he made it, Psalm 95. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And one day he will give it to the meek for an inheritance. In verse 20, it was God who gave them judges. These rulers did not rise up merely in the course of human events. God raised them up. In verse 21, it was God who gave to Israel her first king, Saul. In verse 22, it was God who removed Saul. Just like Daniel says, God changes times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. Or as God says in Daniel 4.32, the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whoever he wants. God removes Saul. In verse 22, God raised up David, the son of Jesse, out of all of the likely candidates, God chooses a shepherd boy in the sheep pen. God chose him, a, a nobody who was good with the slingshot and liked to play the harp and write songs, a songwriter, a musician to lead a nation. God took Saul down and put David up. That was God's doing. God did that. In verse 23, it was God who brought to Israel a savior, Jesus and not as though God were the impersonal force behind the flow of history. But the verse says at the end, God did it as he promised. In other words, God wasn't just active in the moment. Jesus entered the world. He had set things up for it. He had planned it long ago. He's spoken of it long ago. And then it happened. He, would, he, he knows what he's doing. God did that. In verses 24, 25, we meet John the Baptist. And what Paul quotes him as saying is that he takes... Uh, attention off of himself, and he puts it onto Jesus. I'm not he, no, but after me, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I'm not worthy to untie. Jesus said that no prophet born of a woman was greater than John, yet John says he is not worthy to untie Jesus' sandals. In other words, the point of John's words are to show that Jesus is the center of the story and not anyone else. It's all about Jesus. In verse 26, Paul says to us, has been sent this message of salvation. Who is the actor behind that passive verb, has been sent, has been sent? Who has sent us this message? 
The answer is God. God planned it. God accomplished it in Jesus. And God is sending the message. In verse 27, Paul goes on to to say and go out of his way to show that even those who did not know God, who were out of step with God and could not understand his manual of operation, nevertheless did what God planned and prophesied. It's one thing if you know the prophecy of God and you act to see that thing come to pass. They didn't even know what they were doing, yet they were fulfilling the prophecy. God set that in motion. In verse 29, Paul makes the same point. He says, And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. What was happening in the arrest and the trial and the death of Jesus was not mainly the work of man. It was God's plan laid out in Scripture. Paul shares the same God-centered view of history that Peter expressed in his first sermon. This Jesus, remember? This Jesus who was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And finally, in verse 30, it is God who raises Jesus from the dead. But God raised him from the dead. Yes, Jesus gave up his own life freely. He wasn't a victim. He laid it down and he took it up again with divine power. But Paul's point is that God has been at work from the beginning and was at work in the death and resurrection and is at work now in sending the message of his salvation. Everything is leading. Everything in history is pointing to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The earth turns for Jesus. Everything is leading. Everything is a sign marker. The centerpiece of the history of mankind is in Jesus. And the blood of Jesus shed at the cross. And then the resurrection of Jesus from the, ted, from the dead. Everything centers in Jesus. And the story behind Jesus is God's story. Out of all the stories that are playing out in our world, the story of Jesus, this story of Jesus is the one that matters most. Picture, picture yourself in any of the narratives that are playing out right now in our life. Could you imagine a better story to be a part of? That we were so helplessly lost, like sheep without a shepherd, that we needed rescued, and God sends Jesus down to earth. To, God put on skin and bones to become like us, to rescue us, because we couldn't save ourselves. Is there any story that you can think of that matters more? A close second would be like the Cleveland Browns actually winning one game. (laughs) Just one. That would be amazing. But out of all of the stories, out of all of the narratives... All of the little stories that are playing out on Facebook and all the political narratives from Twitter and out of every story that's ever been told, that's ever been spoken, that's ever been thought of, the one that matters most is the story of Jesus. Born in the middle of nowhere, can't even put your finger on it on a map, 
in an animal's stall, not born in a king's palace, born in in an animal's stall to become the savior of the world. And not just the savior of the world, but the savior of me, the savior of you. He died for you, not just all of mankind, but for you. Is there any greater story to be a part of than the story of the recreation and the reclamation of all things in the person of Jesus? That's where we're headed, and that's what's headed towards us. He didn't just come for us to do good things or not to do bad things. That's religion. If he came, if he came to save you from doing bad things, to keep you from doing bad things, or that you would do good things, your God is too small. That's religion. He came to sweep the whole house clean and to give you a new life, not just an accessory like an iWatch. He came to be the, cent- the centerpiece of civilization, came to be the centerpiece of your life and of my life. To fill our chests with presence. To transform our lives in a way that would alter the course of history. Have you, have you ever thought about your life like that? It's not grandiose. It's not, it's not a delusion of grandeur. To think of Jesus inhabiting your body. The resurrected Jesus inhabiting your mind, your thoughts. Personally, individually. To change the course of human history. It's not arrogant. It's not prideful. It would be prideful and arrogant if you didn't acknowledge that. That's false humility. Oh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just a worm. I, uh, who, who am I? Yeah, I guess. Who, who, are, who am I to bring change in the, in the world, to bring life to the city? But you, ha- you have hope residing in your chest. You carry heavenly solution to earthly problem. When you walk into the room, the atmosphere shifts because Jesus walks into the room. Healing walks in. Freedom walks in. Peace walks in. Compassion walks in. Love walks through the door when you walk into a room. So don't, and I've been there before, don't give me, I'm just a worm. We do, we do sing. We are sinners saved by grace. We sang it this morning. But how often do we focus on the sinner and not the grace? And that's me focused, not cross-centric. When we view grace in the light of who Jesus is and who he is now in our lives, we can sing, I'm a sinner, but I'm saved by grace. And now I'm meant for purpose. And the dreams that you put in my life, Jesus, are meant to spill out of my life to the culture around me and transform and shift this world so this world looks more like where you are. And where you are, love reigns. And where you are, peace reigns. And where you are, freedom happens. That's it. His death and resurrection wasn't just to get you into heaven. As we've said here, 
I've been quizzing you recently. Why did Jesus die? Did Jesus die to take us away to heaven after we die? No, he did not. Why did Jesus die? Ah, come on. I love you, Vineyard Cleveland. Because he wanted to put heaven inside of you. Not to take you away to some fairy land after you die where angels strum harps. Jesus wants to bring heaven here. Jesus wants this earth, this Cleveland, this Parma Heights, this body to look more like his resurrected body, his place of dwelling, the city where he's from. We're headed to the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem is headed towards us. What better place than Cleveland and what better time than now? Every city has a story. The story of Cleveland, we'll finish with this. There's a story There's a story that's playing out, not just in your life personally, but for us in Cleveland. There's a story that's playing out. Peter says in 1 Peter 18 and 19, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from. The empty way, here it is, the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. There's a way. There's a way. We're fond here at Vineyard Cleveland about talking, talking about the way we do things. Culture, right? There's a way that has been handed down to fathers, grandfathers, and great-great-grandfathers in the city of Cleveland. There's a way, Peter says, that was handed down to you. There's a story that's playing out in our city. And when I say these words, different images come to your mind, yes? Of what that story means. And what has happened in that story. Manufacturing comes to the region. Here's 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 the narrative. Manufacturing comes to the region. We've got rubber. We've got tires. We build, we build ammo for World War II. We experience prosperity. Uh, the guardians of the city are looking after us on the Hope Memorial Bridge. Uh, prosperity is coming to the region. We've got a couple of dirty politicians. Money starts flowing. City starts to see decay. Manufacturing jobs leave. The city starts changing. No one wants to go downtown. White flight. Everybody leaves downtown. Everybody leaves the city. Come to places like Parma Heights. Come to places like Brook Park. Come to places like East Cleveland. Come to places like Shaker Heights. Depression hits the region. So much so that people look in from the outside and they say, ah, you're a joke. You're a joke. You know what? You, you weren't even meant to be there. You're, you're a what? You're a mistake. Through the 80s, young man by the name of Voinovich comes along, starts rebuilding, but it's not enough. Labeled, mistake, 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 sports teams only get so far, then they let us down. It's a part of the narrative. 
for sure. Athletics are a part of the narrative. Why not? Education reform, levies don't pass. White flight continues. There's a story. Chemical dependency, heroin epidemic, Northeast Ohio. More heroin deaths in the past two years than over the past 20. There's a story that's playing out. Now, I've mentioned some of the negative things that you are all well aware of if you've lived in Cleveland for any length of time. What about the positive things that are playing out in Cleveland? What about the piles and piles of refugees who are pouring in to the city of Cleveland? Why would God do that? Why would, why would God send more people to the city of Cleveland? Oh, time's up. I guess you'll have to wait till next week. No, I wouldn't do that to you. I wouldn't do that to you. Two more minutes. Two more minutes. Why would God do that? Immigrants from all over the world pouring into our city right now. Oh, what's happening downtown? What's happening downtown? Places that people wouldn't want to come to 10 years ago are now being rebuilt. Starting to see a little bit of prosperity happen again downtown, aren't we? In fact, there are 14,000 people who live in downtown Cleveland right now. There's expected to be over 18,000 people living in downtown Cleveland by the year 2020. Did you know that? Do you know what that means? It means that to be a first-tier major market city, there needs to be at least 18,000 people living in the downtown urban area. Here's what's coming. But that comes at a price too, doesn't it? Because that's regentrification. So if people are moving downtown, who's getting pushed out? And where are they going? Cleveland, is, Cleveland has a story that's playing out. And regardless of why you're here this morning, what you were expecting, or why you're even in Cleveland, God has purpose and God has a story for, God has a place in the story for you. And no one can occupy that seat but you. You have a part to play in the recreation of all things. Let's take that down one notch. You have a part to play in the recreation of the city of Cleveland. Let's take it down another notch. You have a part to play in the and supplying the destiny of the city of Cleveland through parenting your kids. Another notch. You have a part to play by saying yes to the Holy Spirit in whatever he asks you to do. Yes, Jesus, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. You have a part to play in the recreation of your own soul, as you, as you speak those things over your life, as you say yes to who you were meant to be, I'm not that. I'm not a mistake. There's purpose on my life. Jesus said so. Jesus loves me. I'm a child of God. I've been adopted by God. I'm his son. I'm his daughter. I'm the poema of God. 
Set aside to do good works. Doesn't Paul say it in Ephesians? You're the poetry of God. The signature of God has been written in your heart. You have a part to play in the recreation of the city of Cleveland. No more. No more. We don't want to play, we, we, don't, we don't play out the same narrative that was handed down to us by our forefathers. We say yes to hope uniquely found in Jesus. We say yes to freedom. Freedom from chemical dependency. We say yes to the favor that's resting on the city. We say no to mistake by the lake. We say yes, we are the head and not the tail. And we speak that over our lives. And we speak that over our families. We speak that over our church community. And we speak that into, it's like injecting hope into the fabric of the city of Parma Heights. We speak that into Parma. That's not who you really are. Here's who you really are. And we inject hope. There's favor resting on us right now. Just received a grant for Seeds of Hope to care for the poor last week. Wonderful. Tammy just, you know, in music class, brings 70 families who are not connected with our church in any way in this very room. Last week, it happened. 70 toddlers, little toddles going around in our church building. You guys are doing it. You're bringing life. And it's not in the religious kind of way where we got to hype ourselves up and feel revival. We feel like we don't want revival. Revival, if that's all I signed up for, it's too low of a goal. Revival's end. I want legacy, something that I can pass on to my kids and my grandkids. We want to see the kingdom of God come to Cleveland in a way that's fresh, that's unique, that hasn't been seen yet in this region. That's why we're here. You're part of the story. And if you're not part of that story, if you, don't f- if you feel like you're on the outside looking in, I want to invite you into the story. Can I invite you into the story? I want to invite you into the story that we here at Vineyard Cleveland feel like we play a role in. I want to invite you into the story of Jesus. And in fact, Jesus has been inviting you long before I have. <laughs> Jesus has been calling you. He saw you from your first breath to your first kiss. And he'll see you to the day you go to pass on. Jesus loves you. He died on a Roman cross to forgive your sins. And to show you that you're still worth saving. And then he was buried underground. Six feet underground in the tomb. He was stone cold dead. He wasn't coming back. And the Father, as we read here, raised him up to life again to conquer death, to say that death, you don't have the final say anymore. Life does. Life reigns. Love reigns. And and that wasn't it. Dayenu, that wasn't it. If that was enough, he went one step further and he sent the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm not going to leave you alone as orphans. I wouldn't do that. God doesn't do that. Fathers don't do that. He said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send you another. I'm going to send you a paraclete. I'm going to send you a helper, a comforter, one to be there with you in the trial, with you in the trouble, and with you in the celebration. 
Receive the Holy Spirit. Today, can you hear the voice of the Father saying, come home. Come back home, son. Come back home, daughter. We're going to go into a time of communion. Why don't you join me in standing? We're going to remember the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And I've invited a friend of mine. I'm going to lead us in communion if the ushers wanted to come forward and start distributing the, the elements.